Saigon. Shit. We're still on Saigon. But this time, we're not on Earth. We're on Moon Saigon. <laughs> Look at it. Overrun by capitalism. Chain restaurants. I'm sitting in the Moon Applebee's, drunk off my fifth Bahama Mama, talking about how Ad Astra should have been called Dad Astra. <laughs> that got me. Shit. <laughs> Welcome to Film is Lit, the podcast where we compare and contrast a piece of literature to its film or TV adaptation. This is part three of our coverage of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Today, the film adaptation in question is the 2019 space epic Ad Astra, starring Brad Pitt, directed by James Gray, a loose adaptation of both Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now, which mm -hmm. we covered last episode. Please check that out if you haven't already. My name is Danny. I'm the quote-unquote film expert, pronouns he, him, and I'm Laura, and I'm the literature expert, pronouns she, her. Hot damn. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> we are finally ending this series. The saga. This, yeah, a true saga. saga, if I've ever seen one. Although I didn't like the book, the movie adaptations are great. Yeah. Especially Apocalypse Now. And we like Ad Astra a bit. I, it's nothing can compare to Apocalypse Now. I mean, come on, let's get that out of the way. You know, going back to the source material, my grandma listened to our last episode where we spliced in some of my grandpa's recordings from Vietnam. And she made a good point that I didn't even think about. Possibly one of the reasons that the language is kind of stilted in the book is because. Joseph Conrad was Polish, mm -hmm. which, and that's something that I didn't think to say in the last episode. So that might be one of the reasons it's slightly difficult to get yeah. through is just because English wasn't his first language. He was obviously a great, I enjoy the prose. So mm -hmm. that's maybe just a minor thing, but I thought it was a good point. She's a really smart person. <laughs> well, I, I can't stress this enough. It's me who's the problem with the book. No, but it, it is a good point. I mean, he wasn't a native English speaker. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Sure. Yeah. But Ad Astra, Paramount Pictures film starring Brad Pitt in the same year as his win in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He won Best Supporting for that movie. Academy Awards. Academy Awards, right. yes. Okay. And he was in talks to get a nomination for Ad Astra, although it did not happen. But he was definitely in the running for a, sure. in the, a nomination. I mean, people were really taken by his performance. I think it's, it's tough when you have to play a character who is emotionally repressed. Mm -hmm. And he's, he works in a organization that represses emotions. Mm -hmm. His future NASA, which has been militarized. Mm -hmm. And commercialized. And commercialized, <laughs> which we'll get to, yeah. oppresses his emotions. So he's intentionally robotic. And a lot of times that you can see performances that are robotic and criticize him for that. But mm -hmm. this was a very intentional note that writer-director James Gray made mm -hmm. because the times when he does show emotion, it's extra special and, mm -hmm. and meaningful and, and more impactful in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's just dig right into it. We've, we, by this point, you know what we have to say about <laughs> Heart of Darkness, but this is more of an adaptation of Apocalypse Now yeah. than Heart yeah. of Darkness. It's like a mixture between Apocalypse Now and 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think I totally it's, agree. it's, a 50-50 split between those two films. I and think. I also want to note that the reason we have this episode is because Danny totally recognized a lot of beats taken from Apocalypse Now when we were watching this the first time. We saw it in the theaters and we walked out and I was not really into it. I was kind of bored the whole movie the first time we watched it. Mm -hmm. But then we walked out and Danny was like, holy crap, that was so similar to Apocalypse Now. And I was like, really? What are you talking I... about, you idiot? She hit <laughs> yeah. me. She hit me in the theater. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. No, but I was like, I disagree. I don't. 
I don't see that at all. Like, I was not seeing the similarities. But then when we decided to cover Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now for the podcast, Danny was like, oh, yeah, we have to watch Ad Astra again and cover it for the podcast. And I was like, really? Like, I don't know. I, I didn't even really enjoy the movie. I think my biggest critique the first time I watched it was it just felt like a very, like, white men are repressed and have daddy issues <laughs> kind of, like movie. And for some reason, I just like, there was no one for me to emotionally connect with. There was like a storyline that I didn't really connect to. So I was like, not looking forward to jumping back into this movie. But on second watch, I don't know what happened, but I must have been in a totally different mindset or something because I ended up really enjoying it. I guess I'm getting a little bit into journeys, but yeah, I mean, Finish the second that time, yeah. <laughs> I love that journey for you. Yeah. Shit's. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So, yeah, on second rewatch, like, I really I went in already framing it as Apocalypse Now, but in space. And I also picked up on the theme that really glorifies atheism, which obviously I'm a sucker for because I'm a hardcore atheist. And it really, like, it explicitly says when Brad Pitt meets his father, is, is he off of Jupiter or Neptune? Neptune. Okay. So when he meets his father in space, who's been missing for, what, 20 years yeah, or about. 16 years or something, he sort of has this reflection on what he's become in that isolation and in that desperation to find other life forms in the universe. And Brad Pitt's character goes, like, he was so focused on... What was beyond. What was beyond the Earth and what else was out there that he totally missed what was right in front of him. And he ended up ignoring his family, ignoring his responsibilities, like, completely disconnecting from the beauty that's on Earth. And that's sort of where my disbelief in spirituality comes from. Because I think, like, there's so much on Earth that you miss when you don't pay attention to, like, the physical aspects of where you are, and especially the relationships that you have in life. And that's what, like, this movie really digs into, is, like, if you're so focused on things that are outside of reality, you miss having those, like, father-son relationships, friend relationships. We see in the beginning of the movie that Brad Pitt's character is pulled away from his wife, and that's because he's sort of distracted by this missing father figure. And so, like, he's sort of going on the same path as his father. But by the end of the movie, I think he's, like, figured out, well, that's not the right path to look for something missing in your life. You need to, like, fill your life with things that are there and the beauty that, like, is all around us physically. So I came out on the other side of this movie absolutely loving it. I don't think it makes it onto my top 100 favorite movies list because sure. Danny and I both have one of those. But yeah, I just really appreciated the messages coming out of this. And I'm very appreciative that Danny figured out that it was loosely based on Apocalypse Now because I think the director does say that in an interview, yeah. right? He yeah, like Danny's so smart. <laughs> oh, oh, you shut up, but continue talk, talking <laughs> no, about me. I'm done with my journey if you want to dive in. Sure, yeah. So my journey starts at the beginning of 2019 when reports started to come out that this film was wrapping production and, and I had no idea that, uh -huh. it, that it was being made. But I was a fan of James Gray. I really think his film, We Own the Night, is underrated that came out in late 2000s starring Mark Wahlberg and Joaquin Phoenix. It's a nice gritty crime thriller set in the 80s in, in uh, Chicago. It, it's, cool. it's really well done. Sorely underseen. And then, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. And I also really enjoyed his 2017 film, The Lost City of Z, based on the real-life explorations of Percy Fawcett, who was discovering a lost civilization in the Amazon in the 1920s. It's a, Interesting. I haven't seen it's that a, either. a beautiful film, a little long, but uh, beautiful nonetheless. So uh, I was a fan of James Gray. And then when I heard he was making a sci-fi film mm. with Brad Pitt, and it was going to be meditative and mm. thought-provoking, exactly my type of jam. I For love, sure. I mean, Arrival that's one of my very favorite similar. movies, yeah. and that's it, it's not a slow movie, but it's very meditative, yeah. and it's about human emotion, and it, very intimate, and that's exactly my jam. And so when the first trailer came out, and I saw that <laughs> there was 
space pirates yeah. <laughs> on the moon and there was action and it looked incredible and Tommy Lee Jones was attached, it instantly became my most anticipated movie of 2019. And I've done this before with movies, but my anticipation was so high that there was no way that this film could live up to my lofty expectations. <laughs> and when we went to see it in September, I think of... Did we see it in IMAX? Was this one that we went to... Yeah, at the Arclight, yeah, so yeah. at the at the Dome, so not, not full IMAX, but mm. certainly a big screen. Got it. Yeah, I was pretty taken by the visuals of it, but since my expectations were so sky high, there's no way that the movie could live up to it. It was, it was mm. unfair to the movie, but I still think this, it's a little too, a little too downtrodden and a little, little too slow to be you know, a perfect movie yeah. in, in my eyes. I think there's some certain tweaks that could have been made to help with the pacing. Mm -hmm. There's certain uh, decisions in the narrative that I think, oh, that's not really satisfying or, mm -hmm. or smart in, in any way. But the ending, the third act, I think is great. And yeah. we've talked about this a little before, but I'm a little bit more, well, I guess you're not spiritual at all. I'm, I'm slightly spiritual. And I was really taken by the ending because I think it shows how Tommy Lee Jones' character, he was looking beyond for answers because he felt this void in his life. And I think a lot of people do that with religion or spirituality where mm -hmm. they look for answers. They, they kind of make excuses for bad patches in their life and they blame it on something else rather than looking within mm -hmm. and taking res responsibility. And that, that, to me, is why I like the message so far, because it didn't necessarily criticize my own beliefs and spirituality. It, it kind of it highlighted how important it is to not use your spirituality as a crutch. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you were... No, I think, I think you're totally right. If you are a spiritual person... I don't think that this says, like, you should be atheist and, like, yeah. there's nothing past the physical world. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it does leave that gray area where it's like, yeah, if you're completely 100% atheistic, that's fine because you're you're looking to bring meaning into your life from the people around you and the things around you. But also, like, if you are spiritual, like, that's also okay. It's just that, like, you can't be using spirituality as a crux. Yeah. But exactly, like, yeah. I and mean, that's and what you said. That yeah. even, you know, up until college, too, I would blame stuff bad in my life on other, whether it be a higher power or just bad luck or other things. I, I just wouldn't, I wasn't taking the time to really figure out what I was doing mm. that was leading to these bad patches uh, or, you know, or, or whatever. Right. But interesting. Yeah. So that's. That's why I really gelled with the message of it's telling you to not lose track of what's right in front of you, of your family, of yeah. your friends, of what you can do in the immediate moment, as right. opposed to just looking to the future. Right. If you just yeah. take spirituality out of it, it's more of a broad message of just saying you need to take action now. You need to live in the moment because you can get lost very easily if yeah. you're just looking beyond. Exactly. And this isn't to say... I'm a huge fan of alien research or like looking into the beyond of trying to find extraterrestrial life. I think that's inherently... That's sort of the next frontier. I think people yeah. always think of space as, you know, it was like Manifest Destiny, which was very racist. And, but, you know, we have yeah. that as Americans and sort of as colonists, we have that whole we need to continue conquering land. And then once we do that then you sort of look to space and that was like during the 50s and 60s that was like the thing the new frontier yeah and then now even like extra space yeah that's like our new new frontier <laughs> right and there's something colonizing the other planets too so. right yeah oh yeah <laughs> like and, which thing. which we'll go into there's kind of a colonization commercialization message and doing research for this episode i came across something called the Fermi Paradox, which is yeah. something really interesting that I wanted to talk about, that it's the paradox of the overwhelming possibility that there is another world out there with intelligent life mm -hmm. juxtaposed next to the lack of evidence so far. And it's like the probability that there is another Earth-like planet out there 
is extremely high, almost 100%. Yet, we, we haven't discovered any life. There hasn't been any communication, and there are a bunch of reasons for that, and we don't know if we'll ever discover life. We don't know if that's possible. Scientists don't know if there's life out there that's not intelligent. I mean, just recently, in the past couple of years, there's evidence that there might be microbial life in Mars, mm -hmm. but that's not confirmed, and we don't, even if we find that life, it just might be on the microscopic level, and we don't know if that ever can evolve evolve into any humanoid type of creatures. So th that's just, it's just fun to talk about that type of stuff. For sure. If you're interested in this topic, I really, I highly recommend going and reading A Brief History of Time because Stephen Hawking is one of those scientists who wholeheartedly believes that there is intelligent life or life forms past our galaxy or even possibly within our galaxy. But that book is really, really interesting. And maybe that's like where my faith comes in, where it's like, he's a smarter person than I, and I don't necessarily believe in aliens, but if he says it's true, he's a very smart person that I will put my faith in. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that there probably is alien life forms somewhere out in the universe, but I don't believe in like UFO videos or stories personally, because like I've never experienced that. So like there's nothing, there's there's no recorded evidence that has me believing that we've recorded anything. Right. But because he's such a smart person, my faith says, yeah, <laughs> I, I believe in his evidence or his theoretical evidence, yes. I suppose I should say. Laura and I both believe in aliens. We are Scientologists. Moving on. Oh, um, no, no we're <laughs> We just want to meet Tom Cruise. Uh, anyways, let's get to the analysis, shall we? Yeah. Hoyte van Hoytema's cinematography is breathtaking. The effects are incredible. Direction is strong. Brad Pitt's performance. I mean, this is a this is a one man movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, he Brad Pitt is Marlowe. He For is sure. Willard. I mean, yeah. it, this is his movie through and through. The dialogue his voiceover in the dialogue is so similar. You cannot ignore it. If you go right. in thinking that these are very similar movies, yeah, I mean, it's it's 100% Charlie Sheen yeah. inspired. And that's the thing, though. I don't think the narration in Ad Astra can't hold a candle to the, right. the narration in Apocalypse Now. And that's actually one of the big problems I have with this narration. Not only is there too much narration in Ad Astra, like way too much mm -hmm. in my opinion, but it also is very on the nose. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about it. And some, some of the times it's very powerful, but other times Brad Pitt will literally inter interrupt a scene to have these yeah. you know, philosophical musings and it's very, very obvious what he's talking about. So I, I wish there's a little less narration to spell out the themes that James Gray was trying sure. to show. I wanted to but... quote one line that I thought was one of the better ones, though. And yeah, sure. Really Go similar ahead. to Charlie Sheen in Apocalypse Now. His tone of voice is very similar, but he goes, It's all a performance. My eye on the exit. <laughs> and the exit is yeah. like going back to space, which is basically yeah. Charlie Sheen wanting to go back to Vietnam which I thought was one of the better links, like going between the movies. Yeah. I thought that was a good line. Another line that I wrote down from Ad Astra that was pretty incredible in my opinion was, I'm looking forward to the day my solitude ends. I'm like, whoa, that is... And I even wrote, I put that in Google to see, I'm like, where did he get that line from? But no, that's original to the movie. And it's yeah. right before Brad Pitt goes to meet his father in Neptune. Mm -hmm. And he's looking he's looking to his father for answers just like his father was looking beyond for answers right. he thinks by coming to meet his father that his solitude in a sense his repression of emotion will cease to exist mm -hmm. but then he realizes that no he is becoming in his father and the best thing to do is to metaphorically and literally come back to earth, come right. back to ground. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I like this movie as well is because there's not really a satisfying ending in the way that his father is everything he's been looking for, right? Like, I hate those movies that are the two separated people get back together after yeah. they've been divorced or separated for years, you know, stuff like that. It's like, that's not really where real life takes you. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy that he found the answer 
but that's not what he was looking for. And he had the perspective enough to see that he needed to go, like you said, like come back down to earth yeah. to really experience his life fully. Mm -hmm. um, that answer didn't necessarily come from finding his father. It came from recognizing that his father has become this shell. Yeah. So I appreciated that ending. I really liked it. And and they didn't get, you know, him and his wife back together at the end. Like maybe they do, maybe they don't. But yeah. I just appreciated that not everything was like tied up perfectly in a bow. Like you yeah. still know that he's got a lot of work to do because he's lived 20 years of his life in this emotionally empty way. So he doesn't come back fully healed and fully realized, but he understands that he's got to take a different direction. Yeah. It would have felt unearned if they showed a scene of Roy McBride with Liv Tyler at, mm -hmm. at the end, or or if they brought Timely Lee Jones. I mean, in a sense, Timely Lee Jones's character, Clifford McBride, was always destined to mm -hmm. die. Right. It, it would have felt off if he didn't. If he came back or something. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Well, let's get into the analysis. Let's compare this movie to both Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now. Yeah. So my literal next note go ahead. is the meeting with the higher ups. Yeah. In NASA. Oh. oh my god. Exactly. Exactly. Listen to the sign. What can you tell us about the Lima Project? That is almost exactly what Harrison Ford asks Willard when he comes in and he's like, What can you tell us about the X project? Yeah. That you like, I mean and I think he responds, Brad Pitt even responds in a similar way of like, I have no knowledge of that mission yeah. or whatever. Um, another line, I think right after that meeting is when Brad Pitt's character says, they're trying to bring down a man who dedicated his life to space exploration. Like that is Kurtz yeah. as well. Like you cannot ignore these things. Yeah, of course there's a more personal connection in Ad Astra because right. it's his father. But if you'll recall in both Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now, the main character comes to idolize Kurtz before he eventually comes face to face and realizes that this man's a monster. Right. He thinks he has answers to supply yeah. that w will make the war make sense. Uh, and, and obviously he doesn't. <laughs> He's yeah. a shell. And his initial reaction to being put on this mission, this is more specific to Apocalypse Now, but this mission to essentially destroy and kill the Kurtz character is disgust mm -hmm. at first. And over his journey, he becomes closer to Kurtz through all the horrible experiences he's having. And it takes to finally coming face to face with the horror, the horror. In, uh, in Apocalypse Now, it was the temple surrounded by severed heads, just strewn about like trash. In Ad Astra, it's literal dead bodies of yeah. Clifford's crew floating around. And you had mentioned this before, but every time someone dies in Ad Astra, the movie makes a point to show them having a small funeral right. for these people memorial. and memorial and shipping the bodies out into space in a right. very respectful military style funeral. Right, like a like a burial at sea. Yeah. They do sort of the same thing. Exactly. But then of course Clifford, he intentionally kills his entire crew. He said the innocent were punished with the sinful, which is which was such a scary line. Yeah. But he, he killed his crew and he intentionally did not throw the bodies out right, into space. He kept them the as kind of a symbol to himself of showing like, these are the people who didn't believe in me. Right. Therefore, Oof, they're died. Yeah. And I'm not even going to give them the courtesy of a memorial. They're just going to... the cur Yeah, the courtesy <laughs> of a memorial. They're just going to... Their dead bodies are just going to float around in oh, space God. perfectly oh, and they're perfectly preserved because it's weightlessness and they're in the vacuum. kind of the vacuum them in the yeah vacuum. so oh. they're cold and, yeah it's so disturbing but yeah exactly like when willard comes across the temple of kurtz yeah yeah same yeah. symbol same yeah. symbol but yeah so you were talking about let's go back to the beginning so that initial scene is almost identical to Apocalypse Now of the military men giving this mission to the... And a woman. There's a woman. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, excuse I have, me. I excuse me. critique, though, about the women in this movie because... But can, finish your thought. Well, no, we can talk about that. I think that that especially happens with Ruth Nega's character. She plays mm -hmm. Helen Lantos, the head of the Mars community right. that she meets. I think the movie unintentionally makes a statement about women. And I, I really don't think this was James Gray's intention, but watching the movie the first time, I thought that Helen was going to accompany mm -hmm. Roy on this mission, but instead she 
brings him there and says, like, this is as far as I can go. And it's like, oh, man, for a movie that's all about men, I think this was your one opportunity to... That is my biggest critique. Because she was such a badass character, and she basically says, like, hey, Roy, your dad killed my family. You're going to kill your dad now. And I thought you could have written a scenario where they both go on the mission. A hundred percent. And by having her not go, I'm like, oh, man, that's such a shame. That was your one chance to have, like, a real strong female character have some agency. Right. Um, Again, I'm not saying that James Gray is making a statement that women in the military can't have these high you know, right. powers of position, you know. Well, so that's what I really wanted to talk about. That's my biggest critique of this movie. And that's why I really didn't like it the first time I watched it. Because as many times as there are women in positions of power here, so we have a woman who I think is like a colonel in NASA. We have a woman, plenty of women who accompany Roy along his space journey, most of whom die. <laughs> but there's that great little scene with Natasha Leone, Leone which is so oh, funny. Oh, she has a cameo on Mars. It's funny. She, Natasha Leone lives in the same building that James Gray lives in. Really? And, and the story behind that is that one day she invited herself over uh, to dinner at James Gray's uh, apartment and he was like oh do you want to be in my movie and she's like sure and she's yeah so she funny. shows up for a minute she's welcoming everyone when they come into the mars base and right. it's such a funny little it's cool a fun little cameo, cameo yeah. but yeah so like as i was saying as many times as there are women in powerful positions in this movie it feels like such a token character move there were so many times where i was like are you kidding me like this is just i think you're right like i don't think that he was saying explicitly that like women can't get any further than kind of like figurehead statehood or figurehead power but like that's really what it felt like there were no well-developed female characters even Roy's wife like all we see are images of her being dissatisfied in their marriage right Um, and that's made that's made even worse by the fact that Liv Tyler is kind of a a famous yeah she's not an A-lister but like people know who she is from the Lord of the Rings movies right and And like you were saying Ruth Naga had this really interesting character like they could have exploited that and they really could have dug into the fact that she had the exact same experience as Roy yeah where her parents were on the same fucking flight yeah her parents were literally murdered by Roy's father so like not only does she have the step of losing her parents she had like they're dead she's not gonna find them yeah and she has no interest it seems like other than being sort of upset She has no interest in, like, finding her parents or bringing their bodies back to Earth for them to have a burial or, you know, releasing them or, like, she's clearly been affected exactly like Roy has, but she just, like, she's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta go. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, like, what is that about? If I was writing the movie, what I would have done was they both go on the journey, right? And they they hijack the the ship that's going to Mars. That's another stupid thing about the movie that I wanted to point out. So Roy hijacks the ship to Neptune mm-hmm. from Mars, and then he has a tussle with the three astronauts who are mm-hmm. on their way to blow up Clifford's ship, and those astronauts end up dying. And it's not really Roy's fault, but it kind of is because he's the one who stormed onto the ship and they attacked him. Mm-hmm. So what I would have done was Roy and Helen take over the ship. They take the initial astronauts hostage. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they put them in an, in an escape pod or some type of thing. And then they cast him out. So yeah. they, they, they don't kill him because... <laughs> There's that, a lot of strange murders in yeah, this movie. It, yeah, it, it felt a little... It, it really Aggressively put it, dark. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It, no, sorry to interrupt you. It no. put a damper on the finale that mm-hmm. Roy kind of secondhand killed three people for no reason. Right, and like they're they're good astronauts and they lost their captain because of... It. Oh, you know what? This is another similarity with Apocalypse Now. They come across the ship that is sort of giving off an alarm, a signal of emergency. And Roy literally says, the mission is our priority. I mean, that is straight out of Apocalypse now. Yeah, like ripped right from it. Ripped right from it. Saying, we can't can't stop moving. Right. Yeah. And then they, but they do, like the captain's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't ignore a distress signal. I have to check on this ship. 
he then offers to board the ship with Roy and that guy is killed in a really graphic and disgusting way. (laughs) Yeah. um, And it's actually interesting, like speaking of overlap with other movies, the overlap with 2001, like you mentioned earlier, is very symbolic, I Mm -hmm. think, because that captain is killed by primates, which is sort of the whole thing about 2001. Yeah. There's sort of a HAL robot that accompanies Roy when he goes like, he does the little emotional level Leveling the seat. Right. Yeah. In this version of the future, NASA has been militarized and you can't go on missions unless you show that you're not being affected emotionally by anything. Right. Yes. And he has sort of that, hello, Roy. Yeah. Kind of. Very similar. Yeah. But... Yeah, so, like, I agree. Like, he he's literally eaten by these starving primates, which is, like, pretty graphic. And I just don't... I totally agree. Like, I don't think they needed to kill those people. Yeah. Because there was already a, a few... And you're going to come upon the dead bodies that Roy's father preserved yeah. <laughs> as symbols in his ship. So, yeah, I just felt like that was needlessly gratuitous. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree. He could have commandeered the ship with her. And it would have been symbolic of both of them yeah. sort of working through that pain. Because, again, they had the same experience. Their parents were on the same ship. Right. <laughs> like, and I understand if you want to make it a solo journey for Brad Pitt. But then what you should have done is, so they get to Neptune, right? And then the antimatter blast goes off. So it's like only Brad Pitt can go into the belly of the beast because the other little pods mm-hmm. are damaged. So it's like as far Ruth Nega could only go so far. Or even just have her consider that her parents are dead and she doesn't want to see it. You know? Yeah. Or something like. But then, but she still helps out right. McBride in a way. And so, yeah, they both yeah. confront their demons and they work past their trauma. I think what we're really getting down to is that it would have been so easy to include her right. and it would have been more satisfying. It's not like it was just Roy for the sake of a tight narrative. Yeah. She could have come and it would have been nothing but better storytelling. And that's what Apocalypse Now does. There's a team. Yeah. And it's really sad when they all get killed off. Yeah. Because you get emotionally attached. And I, I agree. I think McBride could have been the only person in the room when he confronts his father. I think that's appropriate because it is about him. But right. anyway, yeah, that's that's I'm glad that you latched onto that, too, because I was just really frustrated at the lack of female presence and development um, mm-hmm. again. And even because a lot of those women were people of color. It felt so token. It was like, oh, look, we have a black person. We have a black woman who's a commander in NASA. Like, good for us because we saw like an sure. opportunity to just see someone symbolically in that position. And I was like, come on. Yeah. Like, you can't, uh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's silly. So. Right. But I think the second biggest similarity between Apocalypse Now and Ad Astra that I wanted to talk about, I mentioned it before. Moon Pirates, baby. (laughs) Oh, what a scene. In the theater, Danny hates when people talk in the theater, but Danny was like in the theater, like nudging me like, whoa. I'm like, moon pirate, moon pirate. (laughs) And oh, it's so cool when they're being attacked and he's like, give me a weapon. Give me a, he doesn't say gun. He says, give me a weapon, which I think is a very strategic word choice. Mm. Showing that like Roy McBride is just a man of utility and mm. he's just like give me something i can use to defend to yeah. defend and of course the big similarity is that in apocalypse now and heart of darkness they're going down a river and they're very exposed on all sides yeah. i mean there's nothing more vulnerable yeah. than floating down a river next to the land where people can ambush you at any hidden. time yeah hidden yeah, exactly right. and that's exactly what happens in Ad Astra is since the moon has been colonized and now commercialized, there are people who are trying to steal these resources and yeah. money and uh, valuables on the moon. And yeah. they need to get from one A to B and they need to go through no man's land. And they drive on the moon. It's very militaristic yeah. to call it. Right. And uh, fun fact, they shot that scene for real in the California slash Nevada desert the mojave where we uh got, got engaged. engaged yeah Aww. they shot for real and through visual effects made it look like the moon but all the driving that's all real that's so cool yeah and they just made the yellow sand look white and right. well you know it's so fun when you see mcbride put his hand up and he trails his fingers through the moon dust mm-hmm. oh that's a shot yeah and when they 
when one of the buggies goes off the cliff of the crater and it's one sixth gravity and so they sort of float but it's also it's like slow motion it's so cool it's such a striking scene it's kind of a shame that it's only it's literally a two minute chase sequence i mean it's It's over and done it kind of leaves a lot to be desired and it's you know it's like the fact that it's so good makes the fact that it's so short so bad i feel like i'm talking with not great diction not uh, effective diction but it's great but that makes it bad is what i'm saying (laughs) and then i had mentioned the narration earlier so this is another big example of how the narration ruins the moment in certain aspects Mm -hmm. so they're driving on the surface of the moon beautiful and max richter's score Mm. incredible score he had that one song on the nature of daylight which i don't know if you remember that that was the theme in both arrival at the beginning and end as well as the theme in shutter island yes yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go watch those movies again. Yeah. I love those movies so much. And the the reason why Max Richter's score wasn't nominated for this movie was because he had used some old pieces That's of right. work for this movie. I think this movie easily could have been nominated for best yeah. score, but the fact that Max Richter, an incredible composer, one of the best working today, had used old compositions for this movie made it ineligible. So a big shame, but they're driving through the moon Great score, very ethereal, dreamlike, just super cool. And then these pirates come, and I was rubbing my hands together. I'm like, oh, shit, it's going down. (laughs) And then Brad Pitt comes in going, here we are again, fighting over resources. And it's like, yeah. (laughs) We We got it. We are literally, like, that is the definition of spelling it out for you. It's like, we understand what's going on here. Mm. The moon is now Earth. Well, just by using the word pirates. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> <Got it. laughs> the moon is now Earth and people are fighting over resources like they are on Earth. So no need to say that. Right. I don't know why that was included in that scene. It totally ruins the momentum. But luckily right. the scene is so badass that you forget about that soon. But th- that's an example of where the narration is completely unnecessary, totally incessant and constant. It just would have been heavily edited down if I was in the editing room. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Actually, a fun fact about that scene as well, something that I just noticed because as you have so much extra time in quarantine, I've been rewatching Bones. Ooh. And, you know, I, I'm i not liking it, to be very honest. I think it hasn't aged well. I have a lot of critiques, but that's totally beside the point. The thing I was going to say that's kind of a fun fact is that the man who is the leader of that transport mission is a character in Bones. Uh, Very short. He's in like a few episodes. But then later at the site where he meets up with that other spaceship that's going to take him to Mars or whatever, they have a member of their team who plays the main character Temperance Brennan's brother. So oh. I thought it was kind of a fun, like, little overlap that they were in the same movie. James Gray must be a fan of Bones. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They're also, like, they're fairly minor characters in the show, so it could have been a total coincidence. But because I've been rewatching that, that's something I would not have re- remembered the first time we watched the movie. But since I had recently rewatched a few episodes, I was like, oh, yeah. that's Russ and and that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I also actually going back to Tommy Lee Jones's character, I enjoyed how they used lighting in a very similar way to Apocalypse Now because when Roy finds his father, they do the same sort of half shadow, half lit mm-hmm. face which yeah. I thought was really effective and he sort of does he has sort of the same movements as Kurtz, which I thought was a very specific directorial choice Mm -hmm. and they also have roy mcbride looking out the windows of the spaceships and i think that was also very similar to the opening of apocalypse now when he's in saigon yeah (laughs) looking out (laughs) onto the street below his hotel room i thought that was like very similar visually and they do a lot of like lens flaring a lot of the light because it's so similar to the light that was coming through the yellow palette which was very specific to heart of darkness the book which was then intentionally brought into apocalypse now yeah and then they sort of used that same light filtering i think through spaceship windows and the lack or the abundance of 
atmospheres, depending on where they were in the galaxy. So I thought that that was very, like, visually similar. Yeah. It's a shame that this movie was not nominated for Best Cinematography. Hoyte Van Hoytema also shot Dunkirk. He shot Interstellar. He shot uh, Tenet, which we just Mm -hmm. saw, which... Love or hate the story of that movie, it looks incredible. So the only nomination that this movie got was Best Sound Mixing. It didn't even get Best Visual Effects, which it could have easily won that. It was one of the most beautiful movies of 2019. We watched some of the special features or, or an interview or something with the director, and they do talk about how they spliced real images of space into the movie. And I actually did notice when that happened. So I don't know if that's like a critique necessarily, but I did notice when there was a grain difference between a planet and the obviously rendered spaceship. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was just less grainy, which I thought was interesting because I, I don't know. I think you've just like made me more aware of visual details while I'm watching movies. movies I've ruined movies for you. No, (laughs) (laughs) you haven't ruined movies. It's just made me more aware of when a good movie stands above the rest sure but i don't know that was probably like something so minor that i was just like being picky but i did notice when there was a rendered image next to a sharp 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 image that was probably probably taken by hubble (laughs) yeah i guess that speaks to why it's so frustrating that i didn't find this movie amazing because it has all the elements of a movie that i would love Mm -hmm. like four out of four stars it's just it's just a little too slow. It has too much narration. The decisions with some characters are the wrong decisions, as we've stated, in, in our opinions. And I think another thing that Apocalypse Now has that this movie doesn't is the full-on descent into madness, not getting monotonous for yeah. the viewer. Because the biggest issue that this movie has is right before Roy McBride goes to confront his father, there's a long scene of him just waiting around in a ship. Mm-hmm. And it just completely derails the momentum mm-hmm. that the movie has. That's it, a good point. I think it's necessary for that scene to be in there, but it could have been cut. It's like a, a, a few minute scene and they just they should have made it just like very brief. And as soon as this movie is ramping up, to a big finale it kind of intentionally stops and i'm like ah it's only a two-hour movie but it still feels a little bit longer Mm. than that Mm -hmm. just some more editing would have been necessary this movie already was heavily edited down so originally Liv tyler did have a much bigger role in the movie there were more flashbacks of her relationship with roy but they cut it down to almost she has about i think two lines in the entire movie and one of them is voiceover yeah and that's another thing where james gray unintentionally makes the message that her character really is, isn't important when mm-hmm. she's kind of the linchpin for roy's whole deal is yeah. that he couldn't be close to even his wife right the person who's literally mm-hmm. and figuratively close to him mm-hmm. the most now that he doesn't have a mother or father so it just needed a little bit more tweaking and mm-hmm. it would have been amazing in, in my opinion with these little tweaks i'm not claiming to know all the answers and to be this this great screenwriter because i'm not but it's just frustrating too that we can kind of understand the cracks yeah and if it the script had just gone through another pass in our opinion it, it just would have been so great yeah it would have like taken it to the next level yeah i agree i i want to highlight something that i really enjoyed that i totally forgot about right in the beginning of the movie, how cool is it when he falls to Earth from that power station? Oh, so That is such a cool opening, and it's completely different than anything we've seen in Apocalypse Now. Like, I actually think that it's cool to take a step back and see what Roy was doing that he was really passionate about, because we don't necessarily see that with Marlowe, we come into his story where he's already had all of that trauma. And a fall from the stratosphere, arguably, is fairly traumatic. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to watch him be connected to his teammates and they sort of have a banter going on. And he's obviously really traumatized by seeing some of them die. They fall to their deaths and then some of them get electrocuted and die. And then he makes a decision to fall. He lets go of the lattice after he's shut off the power for, like, the bottom half of the sector or whatever. 
And I think it's kind of cool to take that step back and show who he was. He was still emotionally disconnected, I think, but he was still doing something passionate. And he talks about that a lot throughout the film about how he's dedicated his life, just like his father dedicated his life to space exploration and furthering the human race. So I actually thought that was really cool. And they shot it really well. It's just yeah. a really interesting idea. It's, it's an immaculate sequence. I'm glad you brought it up. And it's a great transition from visual effects to practical because when he's Ooh, falling, yeah. when he's falling in space, that's all VFX. But then it flawlessly transitions to an actual skydiver. Ooh, they cool. actually, you know, use skydivers just like in Mission Impossible Fallout, you know, for a Tom Cruise's sequence. Right. <laughs> Second mention of Tom Cruise. Um, they used a real skydiver, but then seamlessly superimposed Brad Pitt's face onto the skydiver. Cool. And it, it looks real because, well, it was, yeah. except for Brad Pitt's face. And it, a great way to open up the movie. You, you learn everything about his character from there. The fact yeah. that he, he made the decision to purposefully let go. Yeah. But all the time when he was flying, his pulse didn't go over a certain rate because yeah. he knew if he freaked out, he would Panics. lose control. And yeah. and the fact that he didn't lose control was how he was able to uh, skydive and, you know, release his shoot, yeah. shoot through the rubble, yeah. that flying rubble. And yeah. it, it, I mean, incredible. From that sequence alone, I don't know why it didn't get nominated for Best Cinematography and VFX. I mean, mm -hmm. that like a great way to open up the movie and it's kind of a shame that as the movie progresses it kind of the sequences become less majestic in a yeah, way although and then at the very end though when when tommy lee jones's character disconnects from the belt, pulley the belt, belt i yeah, don't know the, the, the connection belt yeah i'm not an astronaut clearly but that was pretty cool too when he's moving past neptune that was Pretty that awesome. was cool, but then the scene right after that is Brad Pitt using the shield going through the rings of Neptune. Yeah. And uh, that was in the trailer, so it was spoiled, but I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. This is going to be <laughs> so heavy metal. But then as he's going through, instead of the music ramping up and, you know, it being this big, incredible sequence... Then it cuts, it goes to a flashback of him talking to his father and it becomes very quiet. And that scene is necessary of him talking, of saying like, you look so far in, yeah. in for aliens right, that that's you... Like the pivotal. Yeah, that, that, but that scene Point. just should have come after because it interrupts a really heavy metal sequence of <laughs> Brad Pitt using a shield. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is totally. incredible. Yeah. And again... That decision to use narration destroys the momentum. I'm not yeah. saying it's a terrible sequence. It's still a great sequence, but totally. I just thought it could have been, it yeah. could have been better. Th yeah. That's the title for this podcast. This movie could have been better, <laughs> but it's still yeah. great. I, I want to make that clear that yeah. I still think the ending, like the ending to Apocalypse Now, is powerful because you have a main character who is lost Mm -hmm. and who is experiencing literal darkness, like an Ad Astra. They're literally in space, the vacuum of space. Yeah. But in finding someone lost, he is found, I guess. Yeah. And see, he's comes face to face with the mirror and is forced to confront his own demons. And, yeah. and this is even coming from someone, I mean, we both have great relationships with our our dads, like shout out to our dads, yeah. Rick and Pete. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a little emotional just thinking about the fact that Roy's dad wasn't in his life. And it yeah. kind of made me re-examine my relationship with my parents and of like, wow, how impactful they were with my development sure, and everything yeah. like that. And how I owe so much to how they raised me. But seeing that, it, it's just, it's just whether you have a great relationship or not with your dad, it, it's really emotional and, and really hits home. Mm -hmm. And that's why this movie is still special, despite some mm -hmm. glaring flaws in its script. Well, I guess to wrap up, I have a question. Sure. Do you think that it was realistic, or do you think it was the right choice for Tommy Lee Jones to try to drag Roy out and away from the ship, or should he have just, like, unclipped himself? I... Was it, do you think that was intentional? That's, you, that's you know? a good question. I think, Did yeah. Did he just see him as a non-believer and he was like, now he no, has to die too? No, I think in in that instance, I, I think he knew that, that he wouldn't, that Roy wouldn't die if he went out. But he like pulls, like, my question is like, because he, instead of just unclipping himself, which would have just been suicide, he, doesn't he try to like pull Roy out with him? He's sort of like, or is he just trying to get away? I like, think he's just trying to get away and i don't know whether if like he couldn't okay. unclip or yeah. what because roy is the one who has to right. let go yeah 
Well, so maybe that was supposed to be the symbolism of Roy letting his yeah. father go. Yeah, I don't know. I, I always, I just thought it, it was a weird, I couldn't decide if Roy's father was trying to kill him too because he thought that he wasn't a believer anymore. He was trying yeah. to like take him back or if it was just he was trying to get away or trying to bring Roy closer to unclip that yeah. tether. I don't know. So I was just wondering. Um, I guess we can wrap up. But the other thing we didn't talk about was the title. Oh, yeah. Ad Astra, it is Latin for to the stars, which incredible. I agree. It's a it's a really cool phrase. And it's also the motto of the Royal British Air Force. Oh, cool. Which is per Ardua Ad Astra, which is kind of colloquially, I guess, considered to mean through adversity to the stars, which I think is pretty cool. And, yeah. and just to chop out that little piece Ad Astra is pretty cool um it's also a short story by william faulkner but i don't think that it has any specific relationship to the movie yeah so i'm not going to talk about it but i just thought it was kind of fun to bring up so yeah it speaks to how much i like a film that i'm being very purposeful with my critique because i'm trying to say that i'm not saying that this movie is bad i'm trying to say that this movie is great and with a couple tweaks could have been one of my favorites yeah so I think my final rating, I, I've gone back and forth with this. Anything below three stars feels like a disservice to the sheer beauty and emotion of this movie. Yeah, for sure. But I can't bring myself to rate it anything higher than three. So three out of four for Ad Astra. It would definitely recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Three out of four. That's what I would give it to. Like, it's fun to watch uh, if you can get past a lot of its small fractures. And if you enjoy this kind of movie, I would recommend watching Moon, because that's another movie about... Oh, Moon is great. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that movie so much. If you haven't watched Moon, go pick it up. It's oh. very short. It's so good. And it's also... It's really about the same thing. I think this is what's so compelling about space narratives, is that it just takes you so far away from humanity you know, family, friends, literally other humans, that Sam Rockwell's character becomes completely disconnected from his family. He wants to be back with his family, which is different than this, but it sort of explores the mental, psychological toll of being alone for so long, which is sort of what you have to commit to if you're in space. So, And it's similar to being far away from your family in the war, like in Apocalypse Now, or in Heart of Darkness case, just you know, being far away from England because you're colonizing a, yeah. another land. And that movie does make it onto my top 100 list. That's like... That's, Apocalypse Now? No, Moon. Oh, Apocalypse Moon. Now does too. You're but right. Moon, I think, is a better movie than this. So yeah. if you enjoy oh, yeah. this movie or if you enjoy space narratives, 100% go up and check out Moon. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, look us up on iTunes and Facebook and Instagram and Danny on Letterboxd. Yep, my handle is Danny G Reviews. Uh, you can read my review on Ad Astra. Yeah, go ahead and leave a review for us on iTunes. That's always helpful. If you want to, no pressure. But if you don't... <laughs> if I get the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Rory. <laughs> Laura just has a bunch of Rory Scoville quotes. Very inside joke for us. Uh, but Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, tune in uh, for next episode. It's going to be East of Eden. Oh That's going to be our season three finale. After that, we're going to take a break and then come back heavy and ready to. Yeah, don't don't tell them what we're doing. We'll oh keep yeah. It as a yeah, we'll we'll keep our season four syllabus a surprise. Yeah. But yeah, so get get to reading East of Eden. It's a thick thick boy. Thick boy. And, <laughs> yeah, but we, I can't wait for that. And have a good one and give See your dad you. a hug. All right, peace. <laughs>